0: Welcome to Brand New Doctor. My name is Rola Kerajo, doctor-turned-healthcare graphic designer and brand strategist. This is the show where we share big ideas and look for inspiration in all kinds of places to help you grow a fulfilling career in healthcare. Following a path to success is one thing, but carving your own is another. So, this is for you if you want to go beyond book smart. Welcome to the Beyond Book Smart special on Brand New Doctor. Today, we are going to look back together at some of the most insightful ideas and advice we've heard this year on the podcast that they just don't teach at school. On Brand New Doctor, I always ask my incredibly wise guests to imagine themselves as a Dean of a university, with the power to influence their curriculum in any way they see fit. So we are going to hear some of the most powerful answers to the question, what would you want future health professionals to learn at university, to have more impactful and fulfilling careers? We may not all be able to go back to university, but the good news is we can still learn these things now this episode is going to leave you feeling inspired to carve your own path in your life and your career. Let's dive in. Here's Amy's story on developing self-compassion, leadership, and business skills to empower us in our work as clinicians and as we face the future of health tech. I think reflecting on my own experience
1: and just having you know, a lot of conversations with people who are, who are actually working on trying to redefine what medical ed- education does look like in the future. I think there's a few things. I think definitely remembering that we first have to be compassionate toward ourselves, especially in a caring profession. And that starts with that starts with training. Right. And so if we are not actively engaging in a compassionate practice for our own selves, what does that look like then when we become care providers, right? And so I think really leaning into that piece, there's some beautiful work by Kristen Neff, Dr. Kristen Neff on compassion, and self-compassion. Um, and so even just like influencing that through elements of the curriculum, right? What does that look like for you as as a practitioner, um, but turning it inward? So I think that's definitely one thing, because I think that could potentially do a long way on burnout prevention and quote-unquote compassionate fatigue. I don't don't necessarily love that word, but, but really just like remembering that you first are a human, right? I think that's the other piece is you can't pour from an empty cup. So how can we create a more sustainable path forward for healthcare professionals where they want to, they do want to stay in healthcare. I think there's many people who do. So how can we make that a reality, right? And so- redesigning even just, you know, how we're thinking about our training, but like actively engaging um, students in what they want to see out of their own future, right? And like letting them be the leaders of tomorrow and really engaging them, calling out those leadership qualities from day one in students. Um, Because I think that's really big. I don't think we're often taught how to be a leader. And yet, you know, as you, when you go into healthcare, especially physicians, like they are called upon to be leaders, but we don't we don't teach that. so how can we teach leadership um, and compassion and empathy, creating those psychologically safe spaces to to lead? Um, you know and I think everyone benefits from that. and then I think I think third, um, we are, you know in this digital health you know revolution, we're seeing AI. I think it would be amazing to have these New fellowship opportunities where they're really bridging the gap between tech versus healthcare. It's tech and healthcare, tech and clinicians. And I love to see these new fellowship opportunities where a clinician is working side by side with a product leader in a tech company and getting to be that SME, but then also getting to see how the business world operates. I think that we're only going to naturally have to do that, I think, to, to. you know, be the, the future that we want to see. And so creating these other opportunities and these other experiences from, you know, the, the standpoint of education. So we don't get into that point of, you know, we're in clinical care and then we think, oh, let me, now let me go understand what business is. I think it just has to be part of the education. Um, And the last piece I'll add, one more is I think actively um, having these like patient focus groups where they get to Talk about their experiences in healthcare, um, how they want to be treated by healthcare professionals, how they felt, um, you know, in when they were just when they weren't looked at, and someone was looking at a screen. Because I think it's a really eye-opening experience to to know that, but then to go through that in the day to day as a healthcare professional. Um, and so, if we just if we acknowledge that sooner, and they get to hear what patients feel, how they want to had their cultural beliefs taken into? what did it look like to actually see a person as a person and not a problem to be solved? What does that actually look like? And having these kind of patient focus groups where they all can kind of um be together from that student mindset where you're learning and you're embracing instead of just pushing them off into the world um really, you know, like part of that is learning, you know as as your healthcare professional, but just getting to have these experiences
0: in your didactic um years as well. I think it'd be really helpful. Up next is Dr. Annabelle Shawemimo on how understanding the history of health inequalities is key to creating a more equitable future.
2: There has to be an acceptance that I'm not saying that "Divided" is a perfect book. I think there are other books also that have been written that I cite within my book on this issue that this history is relevant to. Everybody in the science and medical space, yeah, I think that is a very good starting point of acceptance and I think a lot of people are dispute whether some of this history has relevant significance today, but as I've said, it's so important and foundational to some of the measurements we use, some of the research we're still doing, even the technology we're still developing. so not just those at medical school but those across the science courses from pharmacy, to um, biomedical sciences, to even astrophysics, people need to have some understanding of the history of race medicine, what is seen as the norm, the average body that was really pushed through enlightenment thinking embedded in their course. The second thing is, is that often people don't look at the experts they already have in their institutions and spaces There will undoubtedly in most institutions be people that have looked at these issues, have been trying to uh, work on these within their relevant courses or spaces. And I think drawing on that local knowledge to see how you can make curriculum change within your own institutions. And it's not just about curriculums, because I also think you touched upon, you know, the studentship that I've had and others have benefited from. There are wider workings that I speak to in the educating differently chapter about the dynamics between institutions, often in Western spaces, and the influx um, knowledge um, from you know other institutions. Whether that's a sister organization it has abroad, whether that's its um, international students and how it's treated, all of these things are deeply relevant when we talk about the legacy of colonialism. In our institutions and spaces. So I think also having casting the net wider, because often people think, oh, I'm going to quote unquote decolonize the curriculum, you know, or I'm going to put some thinkers that are more expansive on the curriculum. But really, this is about how the university operates. Um, When we talk about epistemic injustice, who gets to derive knowledge, whose knowledge is appreciated, um, who has. Access to the production of knowledge. Um, we have to think much wider than just the students coming in, the educators in the system. But actually, what is the role of the university? And increasingly, in places, um, in a lot of places, um, in including the UK, where we see, you know, a lot of lecture strikes, all of these kinds of things, while still the universities are expanding their campuses in other countries, it's actually to be more of a business model than necessarily a place of learning and education and asking some of these wider questions about who you're serving and what we're doing, um, you know, as a university. Um, are we oppressing or are we actually uplifting individuals and who are we uplifting and for what purpose and what legacy are we trying to leave behind so i think often decolonizing is a very expansive thing there's many ways it can be applied even when we're thinking about the university space um and trying to make education more expansive than the university um because ultimately what what a lot of my work is even saying that A lot of the experts lie outside the university, right? So as a dean, how are you going to start factoring that in? Because you need to acknowledge that a lot of the experts are not even within your institution and how do you start to create a better flow of discussion between those that are outside and inside um, the walls of your university? So. I mean, if I was the dean, there were, I, there's so much more that I could say on the, the issue. I think a, a good starting place, obviously, is the acceptance that the history of race, health and empire is so integral um, to much of what is taught in that space. And people not having a foundation of this. Even if there's disagreement in some areas, ignorance isn't an option.
0: Let's see what Lea Jegendorf had to say about how an appreciation of visual design can humanize the healthcare experience. I think that
3: just a little bit of awareness, I'm not sure how directly this relates to what you're asking, but awareness of the, the role of visual communication in healthcare, the impact that it can have. So, for example, if you have really bad wayfinding signage in a hospital, you're increasing an already stressful Mm -hmm. situation. You're making someone feel disempowered and stressed in a situation where they are already stressed. If you have medication that's difficult, a medicine that's difficult to open, or the instructions are not clear, you're creating something that is uncomfortable to someone. If you have a hospital gown that makes someone feel exposed and, and awkward, then you're creating a situation where they are even more uncomfortable than they would be. And the same thing that drove a doctor covered in PPE to put a picture of themselves so that their patient to reassure their patient. I think that is an understanding that visual language can can help make a person feel more at ease. So I would say so my it's a personal story, but when my mother she, she passed away with dementia, she was hospitalized, and she was obviously couldn't talk, and she was like, she's just this old woman with her dentures out. and she was treated really well by the medical staff, but they didn't really. See her, and I was sitting by her bedside, and I just wanted to shout, You don't know anything about her. She's this and she's that, and she plays the piano amazingly. And I just thought, as I was seeing them constantly picking up the chart of her bed and checking, doing really wonderful work medically, as a graphic designer, I was just thinking, Wouldn't it be great if that chart, every patient in the hospital, the family could put, there would be a place where the family could put a picture of their loved one as they know them, not as a kind of lying with a hospital gown and stuff chews up their nose or whatever. And so every time someone picked up the chart before they opened it to look at everything, they would see the the person. And that was just, I just thought that would be a really nice way to, I'm not, I don't want to say the word force, but to kind of bring the human factor using a visual thing. So that's just an example for sort of thinking a little bit like a designer in a situation that's highly medical and is very much about life and death and all of that but still and I think that that I'm sure that health professionals and doctors are have got that ability when they when they finish mastering which it takes the most of their time and energy and they are the ones that can actually instigate these types of uh, interventions as well to because it would make their lives Better as a professional life, better I feel. Not only the patients and the people that they're dealing with.
0: Over to Dr. Claudia Pastides on staying ahead of the curve by gaining experience with health tech and personal branding.
4: I believe health technology just needs to be a part of the cur- curriculum now because it's not the future; it is the now. <laughs> it's the present, but it will become more and more in the future. So I do feel like health tech. Should have its own branch where you can understand what the differences are, what the engineering side is, the creative side of it is, the content side. So that's one thing. Um, And the other thing I would love and I wish that I'd learned was about personal branding, personal branding and networking. I really wish that I had learned more about that. And I'm seeing nowadays more and more uh, medical students on LinkedIn. And networking and getting into this environment. And I was thinking, God, oh, that's, that's absolutely awesome. I, I wish that I had been able to think about that at that stage because I feel like I've learned so much in the last 10, 15 years, let's say on LinkedIn, um, or on, you know, any social media platforms where there are clinicians. So yeah, I think personal branding and, and a, an understanding, a good baseline understanding of health tech would be really, really valuable.
0: Now let's hear some thoughts from Dr. Giles Morrison on designing and problem-solving in healthcare to influence positive changes in our behaviour.
5: First, keep in mind those clinical UX pillars. They should be what you're building on top of to deliver a great experience for clinicians and patients. You need to know about behavioural science. We do learn that, really from birth, how to manipulate our parents to get what we want. And then other adults and other people around us and ultimately how to keep people happy as well. We, we do learn about behavioral science, but it's much more nuanced when we're looking at dealing with people who are complete strangers and we're trying to do what's best for them rather than something that's just going to help us. We need to hold that same scientific rigor that we do in medicine to other aspects of problem solving in healthcare. And that's another cool thing to learn is how do you apply your problem-solving process effectively to solving other problems other than I've got a sick patient who needs immediate treatment in front of me. Looking at service design, so not just creating a product, but creating an interaction between people that leads to an outcome that's positive, leads to some sort of change. Know about systems thinking as well and demand that we do better, that we have a service of healthcare that is really equitable, that really recognises that people deserve great healthcare and they actually get it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Beyond Book Smart Special. I hope it was food for thought for you and inspired new ideas. Now, over to you. What have you discovered this year that you wish you learned in school? I would love to hear what has inspired you and what lessons you're taking into the new year. Follow the links in the show notes to reach out or why not leave your thoughts in a rating and review. It would really help the podcast. I want to say a big thank you to you for supporting this podcast and to all the wonderful guests who have shared their wisdom. I'm really looking forward to making more great episodes for you and I hope you are looking forward to the new year with excitement too. That's all for me in 2023, but I will see you very soon on the other side in 2024. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brand New Doctor. I hope it inspired you in your personal journey. Check out the notes for a summary of the show with all of the important links. And if you enjoyed this, do me a favor. Subscribe and share this episode with someone else you think could benefit from this message. I'd love to hear from you. So why not leave a rating and review? It really helps other people to discover the podcast too. You can also find me on LinkedIn as RollaCare Joe and on Instagram as RollaCare.so. So that's all for now. But I'll be back soon with another episode of Brand New Doctor.